Welcome to the Behind Their Business Podcast, the show that's peeling back the curtain and showing what's actually happening behind the scenes of running a business. I'm your host, Steph Blake, and each week you'll hear from women at all levels of business who are showcasing their stories of struggle and triumph as they juggle business ownership with day-to-day life. Join us to hear inspiring stories and strategies for starting and growing your own business. Hey everybody, Steph Blake here, and I am so glad that you are here for this week's episode. As usual, it is going to be amazing, so you are in for a treat. But before we dive into that episode, I want you to join our private and 100% free and supportive community for business owners to connect in called the Confident CEO Community. So if you have not joined us yet, here is your invitation to come and join us. Each week I also do a live training to share my best tips and tricks for scaling an online business the easy way. We talk about strategy, team building, mindset, tools, automation, and everything in between to help you confidently step into the CEO role in your business. So you can go to confidentceocommunity.com to join us today. And now let's dive in to this discussion with our incredible guest. Welcome back to the Behind Their Business podcast. If you are an avid listener or if this is your first time listening, welcome. Today on the show, our guest is going to share about being a mom of two special needs children, and she's going to talk about how she started her publishing career after finding very few books that represented her two autistic sons because she really wanted to help better the lives of her children and all of the neurodiverse individuals through storytelling, which I think is so beautiful. And I can't wait for her to share her story with us. And she's also been a personal trainer for 12 years. She worked for the army for six years and she was a voice actor and has a degree in music education. So she's pretty much done everything. (laughs) And right now she is a personal trainer and author, and she's working on another book, which she will share more about, but please welcome to the show, Laura Hales, Laura. Woo! So glad you're here. And if Hi. you're not watching, if you're not watching the video, I just have to mention that she has the most beautiful pink hair. I love I it. Pink really mullet. Appreciate you. It's Hot definitely pink, yes. all about finding out who you are, right? Exactly. And exactly. This is who I am. I love it. I love that you own it. It's amazing. So sure. let's just, let's dive right in. Take us on a journey. So when you first got started in personal training through the army, through voice acting, I want to hear it all. There, I have the weirdest set of talents and skills. Like whenever I pull one of these out of the hat, they're like, what you, what, who now? And I, I don't know. That's just kind of how I grew up. But to be fair, when, when very nice people are like, oh, wow, that's really cool. So like you said, so many skills. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't bake. I don't cook. I, I do not craft. I do not, you know, so we're all different in what we can and can't do. And my skills are just very showy. You know what I mean? So I'm not, well, I can't cook or bake either. So I'm in that, I'm in the same boat with you there. (laughs) See, you have other skills, right? Like, look at you. Here's what you're doing. That's fantastic. Um, so I, my older sister was a personal trainer as well. And what I love about the personal training business is that everybody has a body. So everybody is interested in keeping their body healthy. Very rarely do I meet someone who is blatantly like, I'm not interested in being healthy. And you're like, Oh, let's, I mean, go you like ride or die to the death. Like literally like go for it. Um, And so everybody has some amount of invested interest in their body. 
And I have found a huge, um, deeper understanding of myself and what's okay and accepting myself and a big, deeper understanding of that same thing for other people. Um, so my sister seeing the kinds of things that she could do for people, taking people who had just had knee surgery or whether they're older and just looking more for morbidity. I made that word up. It's a new one. More for mobility. Um, and just think of the way she could help people. And I thought, well, I really like going to the gym. I don't know a ton about personal training, but I feel like this is something I could do. And so after studying and passing certain exams, that's what I went into. And it's one of those things where now that I can say it's been 12 years, and now that I can say six of five or six of those was working for the army and for their personnel and training them, I'm like, when did that happen? How, how slash when did that even happen? Because I, I feel like, I, I feel like people, there's that saying that people say, like, the time is going to pass anyway. So you might as well like develop a skill or work on something or don't worry about, oh, I'm just beginning this skill. I feel so silly at this age, starting a new skill. Um, and mind you, I was young then, but it just feels so weird now to be like, it's been 12 years. Like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And well, I feel the same like thing goes with like taking care of your body too. So it's like the time is going to pass anyway. Right. So you may as well take care of your body or else you're going to reach that finish line probably closer than you want to, unfortunately. <laughs> When, and any I accidents people, or anything. Like you, it's your body's gonna make you take care of it in not very pleasant ways, or you can take care of it. And we can't control everything that happens to our body, right? Right. But there's there's a lot that we can affect. Um, and so as long as we're doing the most that we can, usually we're pretty happy with physically what happens is what I have found. So if people are educated as far as what they should do for their body and what they should put in their body, then whatever physically their body manifests as this is healthy. Then they're really happy with that. They hit this zone of like, I know what I'm doing is the right stuff. And so they become more proud of like their body of work per se. You know what I mean? Although did you see what I I did there? Their body of work. Yeah. Um, And it's just been really cool to see I do with my kids, my, my two autistic children, I do with them exactly what I do with my clients, obviously with a little more invested and with a lot more compassion. Um, but it's, I have found that in my job and in my parenting, it's all about looking at somebody within their context and pulling everything apart that you can to say, where are you right now? And how can I help you get to the next step? Not from level one to 10, but just the next step and also working within their capabilities and circumstances. There are some people, um, this is, this client is the coolest person I've ever met. She's in her mid fifties. You would not know it. She has tattoos. She is from the UK. She has these birth food glasses. She's a pathologist. And I was like, what is that? Like, I know what that means, but what does that mean? I didn't really know what it meant. I don't know what that means either. I I feel like it's it's not dinosaurs. She, People are going to laugh basically, at that. Basically, that's a paleontologist. That's okay. really close. That's really okay. close. I thought it would be a cool job too. She, she's like, basically, I'm elbow deep in dead bodies all day. Okay. And I'm figuring out how they died. And I'm like, 
you are the most interesting person I've ever met. (laughs) You know, but looking within her context, she has several hours where she can't drink water. She has several hours where she can't eat um, because she has to scrub up and scrub down and those kinds of things. So um, same thing for my boys. There are times where we enter an environment and I'm noting, noticing bright flashing lights. I'm noticing like um, there's a certain place that I won't name drop, but that is really fun for lots of other families. There's lots of gay games in arcade kind of a vibe. We, we can't handle it. And recognizing that it's not a choice. It's just even doing the best they can. This is something that's just not, we're just not able to do that, at least right now. And believing my kids when they express that. They're not trying to give me a hard time. They're having a hard time. So it's my job to kind of look for those signs and signals that they're giving me, um, hopefully noticing beforehand this probably isn't going to be a great place and find an alternative. And to say, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, we can cut this short. That's no problem. Oh, instead of staying in here, you'd like to go take a walk? That's all right. Um, But so much of my life has become that with people. And even just friends, it's like friends just end up telling me things. (laughs) I feel like I'm that person. It's something about the hair that just says, I accept you. Tell me everything. It's definitely, I do get that vibe. I get that vibe for sure. And like, like, I don't hate that. I would, I would love to be that person for everybody, but I've kind of become this story keeper where people just tell me their stories, um, really big, deep, traumatic, wonderful, silly, lighthearted. All these stories are just like, and sometimes it can be overwhelming, but honestly, it, it, um, really connects me compassion wise, emotionally to people. And I feel like now I can, in a very real way, look at anybody and think they have their own story in a very real sense. I don't know anything about that person, but I know they have their own story because everybody who's ever come to me has told me some huge, unreal story about their life. That was a lot. Yeah, no, (laughs) no, you're fine. I completely agree with that because I feel the same way. And this, it took me a while to realize, (laughs) this is going to sound ridiculous, that people are their own person and they do have their own journeys. They do have their own stories because I feel like, especially when I was younger, teenager, early twenties, I was so quick to judge other people. Like if they made one mistake, they would be the worst person in the world, not taking into account, oh, maybe their past experiences shaped that decision that they made in that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's funny how we learn these things (laughs) with age. Well, and aren't you glad you did? Well, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Because I'm also an empath and it seems like you are too. Oh my goodness. Yes. So I, I really feel other people's energy and I feel their emotions, which is, can get very heavy. So I know when you were saying people tell you their stories all the time, I was instantly thinking I'm also an introvert. So I was thinking, Oh, that, that feels like a lot. (laughs) It's it's heavy. It feels heavy. It's a lot. Um, Luckily I'm, I feel like in each individual story, I don't necessarily carry it wholly with me. Like in that moment when I'm with them, I'm fully experiencing it and it can be really intense. And then for a couple of days, I might still feel residual, you know, either anxiety or worry about it, but it's almost like I have so many other stories to tend to that my mind can just be like, okay, 
and next is this person. And then we kind of have that moment. And then next is this person. So luckily it doesn't move forward with me or else I'd be like flat on the ground, just exhausted. So right, you can, I can never say this word, compartmentalize. Compartmentalize. Yeah, you did it. Okay, good. I said it. (laughs) Yeah. So you can put everybody in their own little bucket in your mind in in some way. So I think maybe it was just like a survival instinct. My brain was like, you can't do this. What are you thinking? You can't take on all this. Like, we're going to put this in here for now. And next time you just pull this out. I love all this camera angle. I know half the people can't hear me. It makes my head look teensy beansy and my arms look like big ginormous Hulk sausages. And I'm like, I'm going to take over. (laughs) It's great. It's great. Um, But as far as publishing, how I transitioned into that phase was we worked for um, the army for six years in Korea, loved Korea, fell in love with the culture and the people. And I mean, I'm, I'm very much not a toxic positivity person, but I did notice a lot of people who didn't put a ton of effort into investigating the culture and putting themselves out there and just kind of stayed with the other you know, American people on the base and then had a lot to complain about because that's really isolating. So it's not that I don't understand it, but I do think there are some missed opportunities to find really meaningful, wonderful connections within a foreign country. So not that it's not hard, but it's totally possible. Um, So in my story, they're all true stories, which I think is like even more like, what? This is true? This really happened? I mean, fantastical things aside, these are based on true events. Um, You're going to be like, no, Laura, actually, that big inflatable pretend thing didn't talk. Don't think so. Okay, that's true. It didn't talk, but based on true events. And this experience happened in Korea with a Korean stranger. I keep looking down because I'm looking at the cover of my book when I say it. So all your listeners can't hear, but on the cover, you can see that there's like Korean writing and it's like a storefront. And this is like, like in Korean, this actually says sale. And this is Hanan uh, mobile. So this would be Hanan is the name of the store. And then mobile is like for cell phones. Um, So it's very much in Korea that it takes place. And if anyone's been to Korea, they would recognize a lot of things that you're like, oh, GS25, which is like the 7-Eleven there. It's like super iconic. Um, But what happens is my son, who, uh, again, is autistic, we are going to his Korean preschool and transitions for him and attending school in general is a huge struggle. And that's not good or bad. It just is. And so one of the things that we do, pause you, I want to pause for one second. So you were, you had your son, your one son while you were over there, correct? Uh So we, I gave birth to him in Korea. That's a whole other experience. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you don't mind sharing, that sounds really interesting. That was super, super interesting. So we actually came over to Korea when I was six months pregnant which I mean, go for it, friend. What? I look back and I'm like, who? You just, what? Like, I'm such a planner. And I don't know that I'd say control intense, but like feeling out of control is definitely not what I enjoy. But it just, I just had this sense that this was once in a lifetime 
and that we were going to love it. And both of my parents lived in Japan for quite a few years. And my mother is American. So I had had that experience when I was young and sort of that example of how wonderful doing that could be and what uh, how it can affect you for the rest of your life. And so that sense of adventure was there and that it would be okay. You'd be safe and, and all things would come to an end and then you'd go back and you'd be fine. Um, so six months pregnant and I go over and we didn't, we weren't able to get onto the care for prenatal care and delivery care on the military base, because again, we're civilians, we're not military members ourselves, we just work for the government. And which was another whole experience. So I'm in a Korean hospital giving birth and uh, they had translators and they had people who are very fluent in English. Um, But again, that was always like a two-step process. So that made it a little tricky. And then, just how they approach some things is totally different. So again, what I love is it's not wrong. It's just totally different. So for example, when we were going through um, checkups and they have to check some areas of myself, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Right. There's a lot of women, there's a lot of moms who listen to this. So we understand what you're saying. That's just what it is. And this is my second child. So And if you can't tell, I'm not that shy. So when it came to those things, I was like, okay, stirrups, got it, feet here. And they're like, oh, no, 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 this is how you do it. You put on a skirt that they hand you, like a cottony skirt. They draw a curtain closed so that the doctor can't see your front half, like your face. And that's all covered, like by clothes, but like they can't see it. And then from the waist down, which the doctor then unveils what they are about to see, the doctor goes there. So like you don't see the doctor seeing you, you just see the curtain. That is so interesting. It's, and like I said, for wow. some people, if, if um, being either touched or seen in their lady parts is like a really intense experience and very scary, I can imagine the kind of, respect that can imply in their thing but for me it was like you're looking at the one place that I'd be like oh please cover that up when you look at me you know what I mean but instead it was like well we gotta look there but we'll cover everything else up like okay you can't see my nose now like good (laughs) right no I get it but I do like that they have that I wonder if they have that as an option here in the U.S. for people it's very interesting. Across, and it was the same thing for a lot of other parts of that. Um, <clears throat> the doctor was literally there to catch the baby. That was it. Everything else was done by the nurses and natal nurses that were there, um, which I didn't really mind. So you did everything station to station. So rather than it being like, hey, welcome to the doctor. I'm the doctor. I'm going to be doing your ultrasound. Great. How are things going? I'd go to one station and wait in a line for them to do the ultrasound. I'd go to another station, wait in a line for them to do the Doppler, like the heartbeat. I'd go to another station for like a stress test. I'd go to another station to check on something else. And that's just kind of how it went. You just... And is it more efficient? I'm not sure. Maybe they're just thinking a lot. Of I was just thinking about efficiency. Yeah. So in my head, it's kind of like, have you ever been to those McDonald's that have two lines? Like the drive-thrus? Like the split. Yeah. 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 So 
it may, I would have to see the data because part of me is like, I swear I'm waiting the same amount of time, even though you're splitting, but maybe you're seeing more people. So I'd have to check it. I don't know where that data is available, but I'd have to check the data. I would um, be curious. There's a Chick-fil-A by us that, well, I mean, Chick-fil-A is always packed, but they have the two lines too, which then turn into four lines just because there's always a zillion people there. But after you go right. through, then it turns into four. So it's, it's confusing, but it works. They have a great system. Oh, they're like robots. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. Um, so what's another, the only other big difference and interesting point is that when you're in Korea, um, in restaurants, you don't wait for someone to help you. You say, excuse me, in Korean, and they come help you. So whether you want to order, whether you, you want more of this or that, whether you say this is too, I don't know, whatever you want to complain about or say this is great, you call people over. What I didn't realize, we had only been there for uh, three months at that point, was I needed to do the same for hospital things that I needed. Oh my so, gosh. For example, there I won't go into detail what it was, but there was quite a mess on the floor of something that needed to be cleaned up, like needs to be cleaned up. Um, I had just given birth, you know, and nobody did anything. And the nurses would come in and like go around the mess and then just like come talk to me. And then they go around and then they just leave. And so my husband and I you know, American culture, it's like this passive aggressive, like I don't ask, they just provide it. We were like, what is going on? Like they see it, obviously, we just kept waiting. And if we had just like, they were probably thinking the same thing. Like, why aren't they asking us to do this? It's disgusting, you know? And we're just- These crazy Americans, they just love puddles on the floor. Like they didn't change the sheets. Really? Like how gross Because you would have to ask. We probably would have just been like, hey, you change the sheets and they're probably like finally they you know finally we've been looking at those and are disgusting she's just sitting in it you know and like I'm we're both like so both parties are just looking at each other like you are disgusting what is wrong with you so yeah if you ever go to a Korean restaurant or a Japanese restaurant it's the same and you have uh, yeah just feel free to say hey excuse me excuse me a lot of times they're expecting it and the same with if you have Korean or Japanese customers in your restaurant, if they constantly say, excuse me, or over here, that is what they do culturally in their country. Now, obviously, it's up to them, I think, to try their best to figure out the customs of the country that they're in. I think that's kind of inappropriate. But I know I messed up so many times when I was in Korea. So to extend everybody grace. But yeah, now that I think back to because I did used to be a server for a long time. Um, it was sometimes felt like it, uh, customers were being disrespectful by saying like, hey, over here, like being called. And right. now that I look back, I'm like, no, that's absolutely appropriate in that culture. And now my husband and I have a really hard time just waiting at an American restaurant for someone to say, like, come say something to us so we can be like, yeah, actually we've been ready to order for like 15 minutes and can we have some water and we're ready for the bill. Because in well, Korea, I, you're just like, can I get the bill? Yeah, I, I like that system better. We, My husband and I, we actually went to a restaurant recently and they had like a stoplight system. So it was um, green was at the top and that's when you want to order. So you order your food. Yellow was if you needed anything. Like if you need utensils, napkins, you would hit that. And then red is I want my check. So it was like a similar system, but it, you just hit the button and it would light up. It's like, 
That is brilliant. I like that. I love it. Right. I'm just not about that passive communication anymore. I just don't have time. Like, let's just, let's just talk about it. Um, So when I was thinking about being a story keeper um, of all these people's stories and how it helps me emotionally connect to people, there's something about, especially being um, an empath, like you said, there's something about when someone tells you their story, you become invested and you're like, I need to help. What do we do? And, you know, my friend is telling me this, like this happened 20 years ago, you know, (laughs) but for me, it's like, but then, but then what? And I was thinking of um, when, when you're the parent of two autistic children, you just inevitably find the not great parts of the system, in quotes, um, whether it be schools, whether it be misconceptions in the community, um, from friends, from grandparents, you know, really well-meaning people sometimes who just, what is out there is not super accurate and not super inclusive. So for example, in the media that's out there right now, why I wrote my book the way I did is especially children's books. um, It's either super straightforward, which is absolutely needed. That's not a bad thing, but it's like, um, this is Johnny. Johnny is autistic. Sometimes Johnny hates lights. Sometimes Johnny doesn't like noise. It makes him feel uncomfortable and that's okay. Um, but what, what I was hoping for with my book is to present autistic people and their families as people would find them in the community. So if you didn't really have experience with autistic people that you would, this is how you would see them. You would see them on the street walking by. Our next book takes place in a grocery store because how many big moments have we had with our children in the grocery store? Mm-hmm. I don't know how there aren't more stories that take place in a grocery store. So um, many but meltdowns. that's how you're going to, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm glad some of this does. That's how you're going to encounter these people in situations is in these moments. And you're not, We. I don't know if anybody else does this. We don't have like a sign on us that says like autistic. And as you know, generally there are no physical markers to autism. So there are sometimes like when you see an individual who has Down syndrome, you can, you, you have this altered set of expectations because of the physical markers that they present. So you might say to yourself, oh, well, I mean, he's carrying around a stuffed bunny. But, you know, I can obviously observe that he has Down syndrome. So that makes sense, you know, or he needs to do whatever he needs to do to feel comfortable. I understand that. Um, What's tricky about being autistic is there are no physical markers. Um, And I don't know that I would necessarily say I wish there were, but it just becomes tricky because it makes it harder for people to extend that grace and just say, well, it looks like maybe something else that I don't understand is going on. So I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt and either try to help them or try to give them respect by not staring or making comments or um, laughing. It's, oh, it's so uncomfortable. Um, and while we get a lot of, I shouldn't say a lot, while we get some really not pleasant moments with public people, um, What I want to highlight in these books is we have these exceptional heroes in every book that are just random people 
either doing their job or going a little above and beyond who to them, it's just like a normal day and they're just doing something. But for us, it is the world. It is literally like I talk about in this book, it was a construction man. You can't really, let me see if I can, again, your listeners can't see it. I know. So there he is. That's our, isn't he adorable? Um, The only actual photo I have of him is a screenshot of a video and it's like half his face, (laughs) but he has the biggest, most genuine smile, crinkly eyes, you know, his smile, like he was happy to see my son happy. Not just that, like, well, I don't know what's going on, but I guess I helped whatever. Um, And the same with our next book. It's somebody who just does the smallest, simplest thing. And for us, it's this huge you know, faith in humanity redeemed moment. So as much as it can be tricky and it puts us in these vulnerable vulnerable spots to say, we need help. And people are either going to stare and laugh or make snide comments or, or we also have the opportunity for these amazing experiences, which have happened maybe a dozen times. And that's what this book series is based on is those dozen times. And so each one is like this, you're kidding moment. That person did what? And people are just fantastic. Like, I can't tell you with all the struggle we have, how amazing people are in just being kind. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's so beautiful. And I love that you're kind of approaching this from a different a different perspective, like telling stories about how your life has and your kids' lives have been impacted but the generosity of complete strangers, which costs them nothing, right? But just their kindness, which is well, and amazing. I know that a lot of people don't really know what to do, right? So a lot of people who who maybe stare aren't staring because I am judging you and I think you're a terrible mom and I think that's a terrible kid. But what do you say? What do you do? I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to seem imposing. Um, also, it's a spectacle. We are quite loud sometimes. It's hard not to say what is even happening over there. So I don't think it's always um, with bad intent. I think a lot of people just don't know what to do. So also just giving people an idea of what would be really helpful. I was just going to ask if you could share that. Like, what would be helpful? What would be helpful? So if you see somebody in public having a meltdown, if it's a child versus an adult, different things for us. And for me as a mom, if my responsibility is to care for my child, what would be helpful to me and my child? Um, If I am shopping, put my stuff back. Or bring my cart to the associate. Like if I, if it's so bad that I just have to take off and that has happened before. Part of what keeps me from just leaving is that I have a cart full of stuff and I, or maybe my child has made a mess and that doesn't mean you have to clean up the mess, but call an associate over to say, Hey, don't worry about it. I'm going to tell that guy right over there that you made a mess. Go to your, go to your car, go do what you need to do. That is huge. Maybe if I've had to put something down um, or something's been thrown, if someone can pick it up for me to bring it back to me, hey, I'm going to put this over here. You're doing awesome. And then give me space. Um, Sometimes if it's in a really crowded place, which would be really unfortunate, if you could be somebody that helps provide some space, like if it's there's a lot of people around, if you can help be like kind of not like pushing, but just like helping to 
let people know like, hey, give some space, please. We're just having a hard time. That would be fantastic. And again, those are all pretty interactive things, which might be really uncomfortable for a lot of people. So if that's not your jam, just a smile would be huge. Um, yeah, I love I mean, the, it's huge. I, I was just going to say, even my son's not autistic, but when he does have meltdowns, just in general, somebody smiling or somebody saying you're doing a great job or my kids do the same thing. My grandkids, that sounds just like my grandson. I had many people at our gym tell me that like, oh, he sounds just like my grandson. You're doing a great job. Like that means so much because in that moment, I feel like a failure who is annoying other people because I cannot control my three-year-old who's having a meltdown on the floor of the gym. In right. this moment. Yeah. Well, and they must all think I'm a terrible parent. They must right. all think he's a terrible child. This is the first time. And in that moment you feel this is the first tantrum that's ever happened in the world. You know, yeah. it's the only one that's going to happen. And it's yep. a sign that I'm not meant to be just this huge, uh, spiraling process because we are experiencing a moment where um, we in society have told us that we need to be in control of another whole entire person, which literally not possible, right? Literally, right. that's not a possible thing. It's another human being. Now, does that mean we're not responsible for doing everything we can to make sure that they're making appropriate choices, that they're safe with other people and themselves? Like, of course not. And there's so much influence that we have. Um, but dropping for me that expectation of that he's an extension of myself, oof, therapy um, was huge. <laughs> and then remembering he's having his own life and his own experiences in this moment. And my job is not these people's expectations. My job is my child. And whether he is screaming, whether he is doing things that are, you know, embarrassing, struggling, having a hard time. All of this is not my business. This is, this is my job. This is my child. So um, that's been huge, a huge shift, which helps, but it's easier said than done, of course. And there are good days and not as good days. Um, it's yeah, never pleasant, I, but the tolerance has increased. I can definitely yeah. just, I literally don't know these people. I have a pink mullet. Do I really care what people think? Like, exactly. Pretty sure that went away a long while ago. Also, welcome to your 30s. This is a great time. You get to just build this like, oh, you think that? Literally couldn't care less. That is amazing. 16-year-old me would be balled up on the floor crying her eyes out. Yeah, something and happened when I turned 30. I just stopped caring about it. It's I, I stopped caring. <laughs> I yes. really don't care if you think anything about me right now. And it's so freeing. It's great. It is. Absolutely. Now, with the exception when my son has a tantrum every once in a while and then I feel like a terrible parent and people are watching but it happens yeah right giving myself grace right hi leo what's up buddy <laughs> that's my leo buddy he came to join us <laughs> yeah how's it going good did you really want to come see even though i asked you not to I yeah see. you want to hi. see Hi. 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 This Hi. is mom life right now. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And there's no 
Yeah. Like that's just, that's just how it is. And I can hear my older son trying to say, no, she's doing a thing. She's doing a thing. So I'll have to talk to him later about it's okay. Like I just said, you can't literally control another person. Like I'm not editing that out, but we're keeping that in there. You can't. Oh, you should. We are going to go, we're going to go to Burger King guys after. So this is interesting. One of the things that, um, there's a bird outside. One of the things that he has a hard time with and a lot of autistic people do is food sensitivities. So because senses are either really heightened or diminished and every autistic person is different. Um, It's like an autism soundtrack. Like this is what it sounds like. (laughs) Um, So one of the very few things that he really enjoys are something called chicken fries from Burger King. Oh, those are good. They have to be freshly cooked. If they are not, they get kind of hard. So yeah. I request freshly cooked ones. And they are they are his favorite. And the closest thing to protein that he gets. And we yeah. do the best we can. Leo, you know what I'm talking to my friend about? What? About the book I wrote about you. I hate the world. You hate the what? I hate the world about um. You hate that I wrote about you? No. Oh. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. You change your mind about that sometimes, huh? I change my mind. Sometimes you get real excited and sometimes he's like, I don't know about that. Oh. Huh. And that's why we changed the name on his book, actually, so that he could have more anonymity as he gets older. If he doesn't want to be known as that kid, that's why the name of him in the book is different. Just so oh, we can that's smart. give him some more respect if later in life he yes. decides I don't want to be just do it. Just do it associated with that. Yeah. Um well that's I'm amazing. Saying, what is thank he gonna you. do? Oh yeah. I was just gonna say thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for introducing me to Leo. Yeah, yeah I'm glad you got to meet him. Yeah. It's not Oba, it's my friend. He's not looking. <laughs> you want me to close this cap? He's doing that thing from Finding Nemo. No, not Nemo. It is from Finding Nemo, but I think you saw it on YouTube being quoted from something else. I think it was from Mikey Box. Mikey Box. Mikey Box. Oh. Um, autistic people also do a lot of scripting. So they'll take these small words, phrases, or even big words or phrases from different YouTube videos or TV shows or movies, and then they'll repeat them. And something about no, revisiting that. I don't want to repeat them. You don't want to, but you are. Like makes them feel good and like brings them a lot of something about using words and speech of things they know feels good. That's very interesting. Sometimes, like, speech and words and thinking of how and what to say can feel really uncomfortable uh-huh. with them. Um, and again, all autistic people are different. Um, but if it's something that is from a movie or from a this, they know how to say that to mm-hmm. the what they should. So they just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And they know I'm saying this right. Then this feels right. Yeah. So that's always a really interesting interesting thing to hear so you might hear autistic people um repeating something and that can be in times of distress or when they're very excited or when they're just trying to communicate something 
um, or they're doing their best to connect with people. So there are, I have a, I have a friend whose son will script like whole passages of movies, like the whole, like a whole thing. And he's not necessarily, um, at least his mom says that he's communicating a specific comment or desire or message, but that he's just saying, I'm connecting with you. And how I observe people connecting is through talking. So I'm talking. Oh, you know, that's so interesting for connection. Isn't that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense though. It really does. Mm-hmm. It really does. Wow. I've learned so much today. This is, this Yay. has been great. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for with this book is that the same emotional connection that we make when we hear people's stories is what I want to make with this story. So you, we validate the experiences that our main character is having when um, he's struggling and having a hard time. We don't say like, oh no, this is bad. Don't do that. You know, or we don't ignore it or we don't put flowers around it. It's just like, this is happening and this is why, and that's okay. And this is where it comes from. Um, but in a more storytelling way and helping people connect and say, you know what? I have felt that way before. I have felt like some piece of my routine is gone and I don't, I don't know what to do now. I am so lost. I can't function and I don't, I, at a loss. And that happens to Alex in this story is that um, when the drummer, the inflatable thing becomes unplugged, that Alex experiences sort of the same thing, that feeling of being unplugged. And I don't understand how life can go on. I don't understand, you know, everything of my routine that's been this way that keeps me safe is gone. And, um, same with the, the next book about food sensitivities in the grocery store is validating those experiences, why and how they are doing the things that they are doing and just helping people understand, oh, so if I see a bigger kid holding like a plushie, it makes sense because I've heard about this book and they said that sometimes autistic children find comfort in uncomfortable places with something that's familiar. And that sensory wise, there's an area on the drummer plush. Okay, first of all, how adorable is this? There's something on the drummer plush that in the book we talk about, he rubs his lip on the brim of his hat. Uh-huh. And that sensory wise, it's a very soothing what thing for him. Plays the laboratory. Plays the laboratory. Plays the laboratory. Like the lion. Oh, you want to ask him if he'll play Kirby with you? Yeah. Go ask him. Well, I will, but I'm talking to my friend. So if you ask him if he'll play Kirby right now, I think he'll say yes. He might, but I think he'll say yes. First-hand experiences. (laughs) And that's why the episode is called Behind Their Business, because this is real life right now. (laughs) This is what's actually happening. And like when that happens... I hate to tell, I hate to tell you, and I, I, I assume this is not how you're thinking, but, um, my kid comes first. So like, even in this moment, you know, and again, you just like sit there so respectfully and just like, wait, which I so appreciate, but I have just learned that like, I take that moment and we talk about what he's talking about. And Mm -hmm. then I come back and that that's my life. And that can be tricky, but 
um, it's also amazing. And that's kind of what these books describe is that things can be tricky, um, but there are also moments in people and just like gratitude, these moments of just things that would be not a big deal to other people are amazing to us Yeah, and being able to share that with other people. Yeah. Can you um, tell everybody the name of your book? Yeah. So the book is titled Alex and the Drummer. And so there's the drummer right there. And there's Alex. Alex And you have a little plushie to go with it too. I know. It's great. Uh, We have lots of fun, like autism acceptance stickers and other things that go along with um, books. If you want to order them, I do school tours right now where I talk about autism acceptance. And for now the tours are free because the book just came out. So if you want to book your tour, I talk about autism acceptance at like a totally kid-friendly level. And what I love about kids is they just go, huh, okay. <laughs> and that's it. Like they just accept the information and they're like, oh, I have a friend like that. Okay. Next time I'll say hi to him. And I'm like, oh, the children are our future. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know? It's great. And where can anybody get that book? Is it on your website? I'm assuming. Sure. And yeah. It it's Amazon? at, um, Alex and the drummer dot square dot site. So okay. I use the square site. It's fantastic. I love it. Perfect. Yeah. So we'll link to that um, in the show notes too, for easy thank access. You. So yeah, of course. That. Yeah. Thank you again for being here. And if somebody wanted to reach out to either book a tour or just to chat with you, where's the best place for them to do that? There's spaces on the website to do that, but we also have a Facebook group where we talk about all things autism acceptance in a super I'd say user-friendly way, meaning if you have questions, we don't shame you for having questions because it can be tricky and uncomfortable to get things wrong, right? Um, so that one is The Drummer Stories on Facebook. So The Drummer Stories on Facebook, you can find us there through booking or through the Square site. Yeah, we're going to link to both of those. So thank you again yeah. for being here. Thank, thank you. you. For, yeah. And thank, thank you for, for sharing your story. all those interruptions. And that is <laughs> such a good, you know, view into how it goes around here. Yep. I understand. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Behind Their Business podcast with me, Steph Blake of the Blake Collective, which is a female-led company focused on helping online entrepreneurs start and scale their own businesses. If you or someone you know would make a great guest for the show, we would love to interview you. Visit our website at behindtheirbusiness.com to submit a short application and learn more about the show and how you can support our mission. If you enjoyed the show, we would love for you to share it with a friend or a loved one too. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you again for listening to the Behind Their Business podcast.